There we go. Great. Okay. Well, if you remember, you may have been here, you may not, you may have listened to the podcast. Um, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking from Ephesians, I start off in Ephesians 2, uh, 19 to 22. I was talking about how we are the church, that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but that we're built into the cornerstone, who is Jesus, and that we're to go up into him. And I talked about us being built together into a holy temple, um, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And so that's what we're about. We're not just about coming to a meeting, going home again, but that we're to be knitted together, built together. And I talked about us being living stones. Each one of us is a living stone, that we're placed just where we're meant to be. And if you remember, I had those jigsaw pieces, which uh, some of you took home. I cut that jigsaw up because I was saying we have to embrace how God has made us, who we are. We don't cut the bumps and the, the holes off and make a little square because it won't fit. And, and bless him, I don't think he's here today, but Paul picked up all those little pieces and he was going to go home and mend them. Some people have those kind of ministries and God bless them that they'll take the broken pieces of our lives and put them back together. That's, that's pretty cool, isn't it? God bless him um, in, in what he does there. But I was talking about, yes, embracing who we are, the bumps and the holes. And I, if you remember, I didn't know what the technical term for those things were. I don't think there is such a... Such a thing as a technical term. But the key, I was saying, was about honoring and encouraging one another, like Barnabas with Saul, if you remember that, and that we were to uh, put each other first. And then, as my intro, I talked about tuning into the Holy Spirit. If you remember that? I, I gave you lots of musical kind of things. I was talking about how uh, me as a person, I need to be in tune. And I've been thinking about that. Even this morning, I was thinking... I, as a person, can be in tune with myself. My instrument, my viola, can be in tune with itself. So if I play it, it sounds in tune, but it's not actually tuned to, to concert A, if you like. So I'm not in tune with everybody else. I'm just in tune with myself. And it's not about being in tune with ourselves, but being in tune with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we'll come back to that. But I was talking about playing in the right key. Do you remember that? I made a bit of a, uh, a mountain up playing in the right key and playing at the right time. And I use this little phrase, WTS. Can anyone remember what WTS means? Watch the stick. Oh, good. That's good. They remembered something. That's good. So how, as, as an orchestral player, I used to have to watch the stick. And I was talking about how, um, you know, as, a, as an orchestra, we all have different, and in an orchestra, we have different instruments, different roles. We play different things. But the whole thing is to play in harmony to express the heart of the composer. Um, and that we were under the tutelage or the tuition or the uh, direction of the conductor. And I was saying it's like the, Ho the Holy Spirit is the conductor. We watch him and we, we stay in tune with him and in, in line with him. And the composer is like God. He's got this great masterpiece that he wants us to, to show forth. And we need to be in, in, in harmony. And so, I don't know about you. I mean, when I, when I preach, often I'll preach something, I've really got it, and it's there, and then it, it kind of goes. I... You know, at the end of the next week, I, I haven't, you know, it's, it's gone. The, the burden, if you like, is gone. And, but um, I, I was aware that um, I was talking again this week, and I was thinking, you know, do I give them half of what I've got, or do I give them the whole, the whole Monty? And I thought, no, I need to give, you know, everything, all my, not all my revelation. Well, I kept them back. What? No. I, I thought, I'll give everything I've got of this burden. I, I'll give it. And so I gave it all, thinking, well, you know, I don't know what I'll preach next. But... Um, just in the, in the week, I've been reading in Romans, and a, a little snippet, I've got, you know how people have a text, I've got a snippet, I've got a snippet, my snippet for today, 
is Romans 12, 16. I came across this and, and it set me thinking again. And it's, it's a very similar vein to what I was talking about, but hopefully, hopefully I can bring it back round in full circle to, to where I started, but with us all with a bit more revelation and, and um, equipping and, and fitting in. Romans 12, 16. Sorry, I need a slurp. Live in harmony with one another. There you go. See if you can remember that. Live in harmony. The actual verse is, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. But it was this thing, live in harmony. And I don't know about you, but I, I have um, a couple of Bibles that I read, and I, often, I also read on my, uh, my iPad, and I can just tap into the Greek, you know, just idly kind of think, oh, what does, I'll have a look at that word, because I know what harmony, you know, I've been a musician, I know, I know what harmony is. So I looked up the word harmony just to see what, what it said. And it's the Greek word phronio. And it means to be of the same mind. And that was a bit of a surprise to me, harmony, to be of the same mind. And I said to Olive, do you know what harmony means, to be of the same mind? She said, yeah, of course. You know, I'm obviously, you know, running behind trying to catch up. It means to be of the same mind, i.e. agreed together, cherish the same views. And I've got a quote for someone quite famous, although I don't know him. He says, having the same spirit towards one another, actuated by a common and well-understood feeling of mutual allowance and kindness. That's a guy called Alfred. I picked him out of the vine, one of the commentaries. So having the same spirit towards one another, actuated by a common and well-understood feeling of mutual allowance and kindness, this guy Alfred. It's loving unanimity, not uniformity. And so I thought what I would do is just look those um, words up. And so uniformity, so it's not uniformity. Uniformity is the quality or fact of being the same or of not changing or being different in any way. So of not changing or being different in any way. And for myself, I thought, it's something that's imposed from the outside. Uniformity is imposed from the outside. You have to be like this. It's like us being pressed into a mold. Of we come in, you know, and we had six months in faith life, and we come out like little faith life people now. I'm a faith life person. I've got all the right views. It's not that, but it's unanimity. And unanimity means having the agreement and consent of all. And for me, I thought uniformity is from without. You know, it, it's enforced on me. Unanimity is from within. It's, I, there's an agreement, but it comes from within me. I see it. I agree because I think, whoa, that's good. Not because I think I have to. Um, so I thought that was good. And as I said, I was surprised, you know, by Harmon. I thought it would talk about, you know, all beautiful things, you know, kind of. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. But that word of one mind. So I've started, I started following up. Um, this word. And uh, in Romans 15, 5 to 6, um, I came across, and uh, what, what these, I followed the references basically. You know, in your Bible, you've kind of got a little letter or something, and it'll give you a whole pile of vice, verses that are similar. Sorry if I'm teaching you how to suck eggs, I'm sorry. But this is what I did. Um, so it says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony which is this word phronio, like-mindedness, with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's asking the God of endurance and encouragement. So we'll need endurance and encouragement to, to, to make this thing happen. May you live in such harmony with one another and in, in accord with Christ Jesus that together, this word together, I looked at that as well, and together means unanimously. It means with one mind, with one accord, with one passion. It's a Greek word called homothumadon. Now, um, my grandson's four and a half, five and a half, five and a half. I watch uh, the Lego Ninjas, and it sounds like one of the kind of people they fight against. Homothumadon, you know, a bit like Logarmadon, you know, it's all those kind of things. But it, this, this word together, that we are to, to um, with one another, sorry, that together, it's homothumadon is a compound of two words. It means rush along in unison. So, and I've got a quote again from, from, this is a guy called Vine, who, if you've done any kind of biblical studying, you've got a book called Vine, and he gives you Greek words, and he gives all the kind of, you know, the backgrounds. And th this, is, this is interesting, because I hadn't seen this before I started on this thing. It says, the, the image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. As the instruments of a great concert, under the direction of a concert master, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. So that's the, the together. So it's this whole thing. You know, I, he's obviously not a musician because I would put it different, slightly differently myself, but that, that's fine. Um, and it says it occurs 12 times in the Bible. Ten of those are in the book of Acts. And Vine says it helps us to understand the uniqueness of the Christian, Christian community. It's a together with. It's a rushing along in unison. Don't you like that? You know, we, we kind of all tend to be rushing along in our lives. But we need to rush along in unison. So that our busy, busy lives in, in unison. Then I looked at 1 Peter 3 verse 8. Because it's got, it's, I'm still following the references here. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And this uh, word, like-minded, is homophron, which is like-minded, harmonious, of one mind. And then, as I said last time I preached, you know, you know it's me preaching because I'm going to use Philippians 2. So Philippians 2, <laughs> verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is this word I started off with, um, phronio. Having the same love being in full accord, and just in case you didn't get it, and of one mind. It's the same word again, fronio. So he says, fronio, same love, same mind, fronio. So, of, of, you know, there's, there's, something, there's, something, um, there's something important here. Don't you think about this being of one mind? So I want to think about being of one mind and, and give you a bit of an example from the Old Testament and then kind of pull it together with, with, with the thought of how we can get this one mind. So again, as it's me, um, I only know about three Bible stories. So one of my three Bible stories, and I have preached this here before a couple of times, so apologies if you've heard me on it before. I'm going to pull something different out there, honest. I'd like to talk about Nehemiah. Paul's, Paul's mate as well, he likes Nehemiah. God bless him, Paul brought a word about Nehemiah, and he did, I don't think he even knew about him, did you? He, he didn't even know where it was. He brought a word from God. To, and, he, and, you know, that was a, 
<laughs> no, I, I'll admit it for you. Just keep you humble. <laughs> okay, so Nehemiah, I just want to give you a little outline of the story because, again, with all these stories, it's good to have a bit of background. So Nehemiah was an exile and a cupbearer to Artaxerxes. If you remember, um, or if you know some of your history, the, the Jews uh, were exiled from their land because of disobedience, because of, uh, you know, God was constantly talking to them through the prophets and saying, you know, you need to follow me, stay with me, and not do, you know, not uh, follow these other gods. But they, they didn't obey, and so they got exiled. They, they went in exile into three separate, three separate times, but all together, and they spent 70 years in exile. And, you know, I was reading the psalm the other day, um, so I think it's about Psalm 139, about how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You know, they were in Babylon, by the, by the waters of Babylon. Do you know that Boniem song? I mean, it dates me a little bit, by the waters of Babylon. We sat down and wept. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But so, so the people were, were exiled, and you get um, quite a few of the books that we read, like Daniel, Esther, uh, at the time of exile. These are people who, who were quite important at the time of exile because they were serving uh, some of the uh, pagan rulers if you like. But Nehemiah was um, serving Artaxerxes there, and it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that after 70 years, uh, through a guy called Cyrus, who was a, again was a, an unbelieving king, they would come back into the land, and that's what began to happen. The, the Jews came back, or the Israelites, the Jews came back to the land in three phases, if you like. The first phase, which is not the one we're talking about, but the first phase came back, and they restored the altar, uh, and if you like, that speaks of, of sacrifice and worship, and so that was the first thing that was restored. Then they restored the temple, and this was kind of like a bit of a hit and miss affair because they started to work, and then they stopped. They had opposition and all kinds of things, and we have the books of Haggai and Zechariah who were speaking to the people then saying, why are you living in your beautiful panel houses where the temple of the Lord or the house of the Lord is, is a mess? And so they eventually... They, they rebuilt the temple, which the temple speaks about the presence of God and God being amongst us, and that was God's desire. Then the second wave of, of people came back under this uh, man called Ezra, and you have the book of Ezra. Um, he came back, and he was a teacher, and he, he brought the law. Actually, it's interesting that, just a bit of a trivia, Ezra and Nehemiah were the same book in the initial stages, but Jerome broke them up into two, and, and, and then we got one Ezra and two Ezra, and then became Ezra and Nehemiah. So that, that, that happened then. So it's, it's very much of a similarity and a similar, similar kind of characters. So after Ezra um, had happened and the law had been brought back, uh, Nehemiah is serving this king. He's a cupbearer to the king, it says. And he hears from some of the brothers that come back from Jerusalem. He says, what, how, how, he's obviously you know, thinking about Jerusalem and the Jews. How's it going? Uh, how's it going? And he, he gets a a bad report, it says that the remnant that's there is in great trouble and shame. The wall is broken and the gates are burned. And, you know, for, for Nehemiah, he really takes this as a slight against the honor of God and the name of God and the glory of God. So he, he, he fasts and he, he mourns and then he prays. And, and I'm not going to go through all this. If you want to see how he prays and stuff, which is quite a classic prayer, you go and look in the book of Nehemiah. Read that for your homework. That, that will be... That would be good, because I'm just going to touch on bits. Um, but basically, he, he repents, and then it says that he, he goes in to the, the king to bring his wine. He's the, the, the cupbearer to the king, 
and he's looking quite sad. And it says he's not been sad in the presence of the Lord before, of the king before, sorry. And that's quite a challenge to us anyway, isn't it? He's not been sad. So, so much so that the king says, why are you sad? What's, why is your face downcast? And Nehemiah says, well, it's because of the city of my father's tombs is burned down and destroyed. And the, the king says to him, well, what is your request? And there's a classic line that people quote because it says here that um, the king says, what are you requesting? And Nehemiah said, I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king. So he prays this little arrow. People talk about arrow prayers, don't they? Sometimes you've got hours you can pray, but he just like a split second. But it's good that he did because we need to remember to do that, don't we? If we're in situations, that's a challenge to us. So in situations, someone says, why are you a Christian? We just blot in without really going, God help. And then saying what he's saying as opposed to what we think we should say. Because what we think we should say isn't always the best. It's, it's much better to get the, the mind of the spirit. But he says, he prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, if it pleases you, send me to Jerusalem that I may rebuild the wall. And then he gets permission and letters are written and Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem with a third wave. To His plan was to, to, to build the wall for the glory. It's, it's the whole thing of bringing, bringing back the honour and the prestige and the name of, of God. So we have a little bit now where he goes back and inspects the wall. It says that he went out by night and he looked at the wall, looked at the state, and no one else knew what he was doing. He didn't tell anybody what he was up to. And a little nice little verse there, it sort of says that the people who were going to do the work, he didn't tell them either. He didn't tell the people who were going to do the work. So he's looking and he's seeing what's going on. He sees, he sees the mess. And then he gathers the people together and he says, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins, with its gates burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And he told them about the hand of God on him for good, and the words of the king. And the people's response, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. They strengthened their hands for good. They all said, yeah, that's great, let's, we're going to do this. And then we get chapter 3. I'd like you to go away and read. I would like you to go away and read it because I'm not going to go through it. I've been through it before. But it's an amazing chapter. It starts off with the priest uh, building the sheep gate. And then there's a whole list of next to him, so-and-so built. Next to him, so-and-so built. After him, so-and-so built. Next to him, so-and-so built. All the way down to the end of the chapter, they get back to the sheep gate. So they're building all around next to one another. And I think six times, as I counted them yesterday, six times it talks about them building next to their own house. The priests built next to their own house. They built next to their own house. Not everybody was building next to their own house because perhaps there weren't houses near there. So it all needed to be done. Because the whole wall needed to be built round. And it was this whole thing about being next to one another. And it's, it's a pretty amazing, and I've, I've been through it. And it just mentions one group of people who were not doing the work. It says the Tekoites, their, their nobles wouldn't bow the knee. But the rest of them, they, they, they got on and built, which is good. So the building was going on, but like in any work of God, there was opposition. And in chapter 4, it tells us about this guy called Sanballat and his mate Tobiah. And they were, they sort of, they were trying to, they were 
against what was going on. They were trying to, there were sort of nobles, there were rulers from around the area, they were a bit threatened, I suppose. And so they, they were snidey. They asked some snidey questions. And you might have heard some of these questions yourself from, the, from people or from the enemy. And this is what they said. What are these feeble Jews doing? Feeble Jews, feeble Jews. What are these feeble Jews? They're nothing, they're feeble. What are they doing? What do, they think? what do you think you're doing? What are you like? <laughs> and it says, will they restore it for themselves? They're only doing it for their own good. They're only doing it for their own good. Will they do it for themselves? And then they say, will they sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? And then, will they revive the stones out of the heaps and rubbish and burned ones at that? Look, all the stones are all burned and what, what, what are they doing? And they were trying to demoralize them and to, to put them off. And then Tobiah, who's like, you know how there's always one, there's a big, you know, kind of authoritative guy and there's a little mate hangs on and he's only good because he's big mate and you feel like if you could get him on his own outside, you'd sort him out <laughs> if his big mate wasn't there. Well, he says, if a fox is to work on it, walk on it, it would knock it over. That's a, you know, they, you get people like that, don't you? They need a bit of a uh, talking to. And so Tobiah, I'm sorry, t t that's what Tobiah says. But, but these are the very things that the enemy can say to us, either as a church, you know. What are you feeble faith life doing? Look how small and pathetic. And are you, you're just doing it for your own glory. You're just doing it to get a name for yourself. Will you finish in a day? And then this one, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Yes, we will. Because we're going to get living stones out of the rubble and the burners because that's where we came from, didn't we? Bonnie was reading it, wasn't she, really? We, we, you know, the amazing thing that we can be called sons of God, we are, we are burned, battered, broken stones that God has taken and in his glory is going to put us in the wall and build his church that his glory may be seen through it. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So anyway, yes, we are going to get the broken, messed up, rubbish one, and we're going to build, not rubbish, but you know what I mean, and add to the rubbish and build. That's good, isn't it? So it says in verse 6 of verse 4, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. Is that a familiar word I've used, perhaps, earlier in my sermon? Of the same mind? Or heart, it could mean heart, but it's just, yeah. The people were minded to work, despite the opposition. And this is jumping on now to the end of six, because I'm not going to go through all. There's a lot of, there's so much in Nehemiah about um, opposition, how you deal with opposition, but I'm not going to go there, because I don't want to keep you forever. But there's another sermon in there somewhere. But the war was finished, completed in 52 days. That's incredible, isn't it? 52 days, just over a month. And it says the enemies lost heart when they saw God was with them. They actually use the word, they fell greatly in their own esteem. Good. The enemies fell greatly in their own esteem. So, the people of one mind had a mind to work and all accomplished their portion next to one another they worked in harmony and the war was finished. You know, I was thinking this morning, it says the people had a, a mind to work or a heart to build. 
They didn't have it before Nehemiah came and said, let's do this together. You know, they just wanted to, they, they, they came together. It's not like they were sitting there going, oh, I really want to build something and nothing to build. What are we going to do? I've got this frustration inside me. They've got this, I'm designed to build and there's nothing to build. And then Nehemiah comes and thinks, oh, this, no, no, they, they may have been thinking about it, but they were, they were not in that place. But Nehemiah galvanized them, but together they came into, into one mind, didn't they? And I just want to think about what this means for us. Because remember, I've already said that they've already restored the altar, the worship. They'd already re- built the church, the temple, um, you know, the, the, the grover. This was more about the city. And I, I want us to not see it in terms of building so much as um, bringing the kingdom of God, bringing the power of God, bringing the life of God into the city, into the places where we live. We don't live in the church, but we live in all different kind of places. And we we go to different places. We work in different places. And God wants to bring life. He wants to bring the kingdom to all those places. And this is what this story, I want to use it in this sense that we we get on and do, um, bring in the kingdom. It's because I've said it's believers joined to one another, bringing the life of God, the kingdom of God, wherever they are. It's similar, you know, last, last time I spoke, I talked about the church in Antioch. That was just came about from normal people, the hoi polloi, as I called them, um, going about their business, talking about Jesus, and many people got saved. And that amazing church in Antioch, which was a sending church, which Paul and Barnabas went from, and we'd still talk today about being an Antioch church, a church where people can come and receive and go and all that kind of thing. And actually, you know, and Cambridge is an Antioch base, really. Cambridge is a place, not just this church, but the city is a place where people can come and be built up and go and all that kind of thing. But that's, that's um, by the by. So, the church, I believe, is a body with Christ as the head and all the members are growing into him. That was last time's preach, yeah but joined together with life joints. I made a bit of a mistake last time. I said the joints were people. But it's the life joints. It's the joints, if you like, the connection between the relationships, the connection between that life is flowing. And it's not just flowing one way. It's not just me getting alongside Bob and I'll get lots of life from him. But there's a two-way connection. And that's what's necessary. It's not just I go out on my own and do my own thing and, oh, yeah. But as, as part of the church, as, as knitted in, Um, having life links that causes the life of Christ to flow between uh, the believers. And we carry that life then into where we are. Because it's the life of Jesus that people need, isn't it? It's the name of Jesus. It's the kingdom of God. It's me showing forth the, the glory of God. So the church is to equip each person, enable them to build them up so that they can go out and, and, and bring life wherever they are. And it's a life throwing through these life joints. If, you, if this is what I'm trying to say. Life, we've got life joints. We've got joints where I do poor good, he does me good, and I'm more able now to go and uh, bring the life of God to where I work, or the life of God to the school where I pick my grandkids up, or the life of God to the cult where I shop, or Aldi, or wherever it is. But it's, that's what's important. That's what's important, is bringing life into those situations. And the church is built up so that we can do that. Do you remember I talked last time about, is it build the church, is it reach the lost? It's, it's both, isn't it? It's the heart of God. It's to build the church and reach the lost, to demonstrate his glory. 
uh, adds in the place. And, you know, if you remember the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the, the, the big message of Bethel, isn't it? You know, your will be done on heaven, sorry, on earth as it is in heaven. That I bring the kingdom wherever I go. Um, not because I'm any special, but because I'm his, but I'm joined in to a body that's bringing me life and enabling me to go and um, bring life wherever I go. And, and when I say a body, I, I don't want you to think I'm thinking that faith life has got to do all that's got to be done. We're just, we're just a part of what's going on. The body of Christ in this city is all the believers. And I might be linked to people in here. I'm also linked to people out of here. I was in a worship, little worship setting on Thursday, and there was four of us from different churches worshiping together. And those are my life links, and I've got life links here, and it's, it's together. Because the interesting thing about um, the Nehemiah story is when they did get opposition, on some of the lower parts of the wall, he stationed people there with swords and, and spears by families. And if you like, faith life is stationed by a lower part of the wall, but there's others round and about, other lower parts of the wall, and it's together that we, we see the kingdom come in this city, in Haverhill, in all these different parts that we belong. You see what I'm saying? It's not just, I'm not just talking about our church. Our church is just a, a part. It's like if it's a family, it's a clan of the bigger church in, in this city, which is made up of all the believers in Jesus. And we need to reach out to people where we are. Because the interesting thing is, if I live uh, where I live near Mayfield, some of the Christians around there don't come to this church but I need to, to reach out and find them so that together we can have an impact in that area. And you perhaps need to do the same in your area as well. We know which family we're from. We're from this family, but we're reaching out and working together with others from other families because that's how it worked in the time of Nehemiah. It was all the families working together, building by their own homes, but also building um, with one next to one another. You get what I'm saying? So... Be like-minded. Be harmonious. That's what we have to be. How, the big million-dollar question is, how do we, how do we become like-minded? How do we get harmony? It's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Because I can just say, we need to do it, we need to do it. You go home saying, we need to do it. How do we do it? Um, we need to work from the same mind. So if anyone's got a mind, we can work from a big one. No, we need to, to work from the same mind, the mind of Christ. And I think that's the key. Philippians 2.5, I've said it twice now. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So I've been thinking, how do we get the mind of Christ? How do we get the mind of Christ? I've been, I've been thinking about this, not just for this preach, but I've been thinking for a little while, because I was thinking, I've got my mind, um, and, and in, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, but we have the mind of Christ. So we have the mind of Christ, but where is it? And I was going to, I remember, we, we went on a bit of a retreat with Mark and Cheryl, I was going to ask Cheryl, you know, where is the mind of Christ? I'm not quite clued in, but I didn't ask her, and I'm glad I didn't, because it kind of came to me if you like, by myself. And sometimes we need to work things through for ourselves, don't we, as well as asking questions. 
So where is it? Where is the mind of Christ? How do I access it? If, I'm gonna, if we're all going to live from it, we need to access it. We need to know what it is. Because I know my mind isn't necessarily up to the job because this mind thinks all kinds of nonsense. And I need to renew it and make it like the mind of Christ. But the, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. I'd like to read you a, a bit of a longer passage now around 1 Corinthians 2. If you can go to it in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, I'm starting. And let's let this speak to us. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, that's good in itself, isn't it? That's good in itself. What God has prepared for those who love him. Is there anyone here that God loves? Yeah, one or two, yeah. Good. (laughs) Um, What God has prepared. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We've been given the Holy Spirit then so that we can understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are followed to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord, so as interest sorry, I'll start again. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ, we find the mind of Christ, the counsel, the wisdom of God from the Holy Spirit. That's his job, that's what he's here for. To to share with us, to help us get the mind of Christ. And it's quite interesting. I the, the quote at the end there, in verse 16, where it says, where, for who has understood the mind of the Lord, so as in to, to instruct him. That's actually from Isaiah 40, verse 13. And I'm going to read Isaiah 40, 40, verse 13. I want you to spot the difference. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? And it's quoted here, for who has understood the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him. Do you spot the difference? Is there a difference? What was it? Sorry? Spirit and mind. In the New Testament, they've translated spirit, ruach, which is the spirit of God, as mind. That's quite interesting. You all look at me. That kind of backs up what I'm saying, really. For me, it does. Anyway, I thought, wow, that's amazing. It also, it's the same in Romans 11.34 as well. But they've, they've actually changed the word and said that the, it's the Spirit. It's through the Spirit that we find the mind of God. 
So, as we read God's word, we, we do read God's word, don't we? I was reading that psalm, or saw in the psalm where it talks about, and it depends on the translation, that God has um, elevated his name and his word in some translations, or his name, his word above his name. I'm just realizing, yeah, his word is very important. His word is very important. We can take it very glibly, can't we? And just think, you know, um, I was listening to something. I might have been, oh yeah, I think it was um, Bill Johnson yesterday saying, the, the amount of biblical illiteracy around is alarming. That we, we just don't know our Bibles and what's in them. But as we read our Bibles, that's just a little slap if you need it. As we read God's Word, and we allow the Spirit to reveal the mind of Christ, because it's by the Spirit. If you just read it in your own understanding, you can get anything from it. That's why you've got cults and all sorts of stuff. People will say, well, it says in the Bible this. You can get anything. So it's got to be by the Spirit of Christ. That's how we get the mind of Christ. And as we continually renew our mind, we're transformed to be like Christ, aren't we? That We know that from Romans 12. Uh, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you'll be transformed. And as we grow in embracing and knowing and walking from Christ's mind in us, we find we are more of the same mind with those God has put us around. So can you see the process? We need to read the word as a spirit. As we start to think it, we'll find that we're in one mind with those around us. It's interesting. Um, I don't know if this is a true story, um, but, it, but it's an illustration. Um, someone, I remember someone telling me years ago about um, the building of Noah's Ark. Remember the story of Noah's Ark? You know, how long did it take Noah to go and round up all those animals to go in his ark? He didn't. Good point. So, they must have been drawn there somehow. Yeah? They were drawn to the place where the ark was. All these animals, two of every kind or seven of every kind. gets a bit confusing, uh, really. But they were drawn to the ark, weren't they? Now, I want you to imagine you were an animal from the other side of the world. You can be a kangaroo or whatever you like to be. I'll leave you up to you. You can use your own imagination. As you're trundling along, it's going to take you a while. You know, they weren't translated. They kind of must have hopped or walked or whatever to the ark. All of a sudden, you'll be hearing a crashing next to you in an un undergrowth. And you'll see, oh, it's an elephant. And he's going the same way that I'm going. And oh, there's a snake going that way as well. <laughs> the thing was, we saw a dodo, but that was going the wrong way. <laughs> and we know what happened. <laughs> Hadn't got the memo. As they were coming close to Noah's Ark, they would find people or find animals going the same way. And if you like, they traveled together. And that's how it is. As we, as we, as we grow in the mind of Christ, get the mind of Christ, renew our thinking and become more full of the mind of Christ, we'll find others going the same way. We'll relate to others going the same way. See what I mean? It's not like we have to, I've been thinking, we could have a sit down. I mean, it'd be bad enough just trying to get the same mind as one person, wouldn't it? You know, Paul and I have got to get the same mind. So we're going to sit down for, you know, like four hours to try and decide what we, we believe on everything. That's just one person and we probably wouldn't be agreed at the end of it. You know, how can, we, how can we do that for everybody? We can't. We can't say, right, okay, this is what you've got to believe in faith life. And uh, that's uniformity, and that's not what God's doing. He's doing unanimity, which is us having the mind of Christ, and then living from that, thinking from that, we'll find that we're in harmony with one another. Get what I'm saying, Harry? 
because it struck me that, you know, in the Colossians verse, it, uh, some clever commentary told me that, that if you, if you, that verse I read, the, the, the verse 2-5 says, um, um, what does it say? Oh, yeah, have this mind. It tells us beforehand what the, what the mind of Christ is, and it illustrates it, okay? But that's just for that situation. So I could say, right, this is the mind of Christ that we should all have, and there's some truth in that. But we, we need to get it from him. You see what I'm saying? We need to get it from him. We need to be getting it for ourselves. And that's why I was saying earlier on, it's good sometimes that we think through things and we don't always ask somebody to answer our questions, but we ask God to answer our questions, the Spirit of God to show us. Because he might show us some more than, you know, because I, I realize that Mark doesn't know everything. Does he? I nearly 99%, but, you know, <laughs> there's some things that I might see that he won't see. And, and, and it's like that because God hasn't given everything to one person. He's given the mind of Christ, in a sense, to us all, and not just to us, but the whole body, and that together. And so I, I'm going to learn stuff from... Every, if I can't learn things from anybody here, I'm, I've had it, basically, haven't I? I need to be able to... I can learn whatever from whoever, and hopefully you can learn things from me and that, that help us grow. Yeah? Cool. So, this is my conclusion. Don't put your Bibles away, please. Keep them out. My conclusion. God wants us to be in harmony of one mind as a body and as a church in this city. It's only as we walk in harmony will we see the fullness that God desires. Harmony comes from or is being like-minded as a body. And we, we need to live from the mind of Christ that we receive from the Spirit. I've got some questions for you. A bit like Paul did. I, I like that, Paul. You can ask him questions at the end. You can go and think. I've got some questions that I'd like you to think through. You might not come to the conclusions now, but I just want you to be thinking along these lines. So my first question is, where has God placed you to bring the kingdom, to show forth his glory, to honour him? Where has God placed you? Where has God placed you? And then secondly, who are the life joints that he has given you to enable you to fully bring his kingdom where he's placed? Who are the life joints? Who are the relate? Where, where, what are the relationships? What are the life joints? And then, how much priority do you put on, firstly, finding and knowing the mind of Christ through fellowship with the Spirit? And obedient to, what he obedience to what he shows you, obviously, in the word as well. And how much priority do you give to finding and strengthening the life joints he's given you? Spending time sharing his life. Because only as we share his life, only as we share his life, we can share life, play cards, blah, blah. But it's sharing life together, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of... Uh, so, my question is, where has God placed you to bring his kingdom? Who are the life joints? How much priority do you put on finding and knowing the mind of Christ? And how much priority do you put on finding and strengthening the life joints he has given you? Can we stand, please? I'm going to pray for us in those three areas, or four areas. But, I do want you to take them away and think about them because, you know, a minute's thought is probably not enough. You might know the answers, which is great. 
Um, again, you can get people to pray for you here. But Father, I thank you that you are looking for harmony, a like mind in your body, which we are a part of. Thank you that you have made available the mind of the Spirit, the mind of Christ to each one of us. I pray you'd help us to live from that mind. That we would find that we're in harmony because we're, as we follow you, we, we find harmony with others that are following you. Lord, I pray specifically that you reveal to people here their place that you want them to build. Their place you want them to uh, yeah, bring the kingdom. And that you would show them the life joints that you've given them, their next twos, whether they be in this church or whether some will be, some may be outside. But you've shown the life joints, Lord. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would increasingly know your mind by the Spirit and that we would renew our thinking so that we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus so that we can, with one voice,